Welcome to The Art of Medicine, the program that explores the arts, business, and clinical aspects of the practice of medicine. I'm Dr. Andrew Wilner, and today I have a special guest, Dr. Armin Feldman. Welcome, Dr. Feldman. Hi, Andrew. It's a pleasure to be here. Looking forward to our discussion. Yeah, thanks, Dr. Feldman. Now, you are uh, traditionally trained as a psychiatrist, right? But I understand that that's not what you're doing now. That's correct, yeah. I'm trained as a psychiatrist, also as a uh, psychoanalyst. But for the last 13 years, what I've been doing is medical legal consulting, which has really turned into a new subspecialty of forensic medicine. Prior to doing this, uh, I owned outpatient head injury rehabilitation clinics around the country. My specialty uh, was actually mild traumatic brain injury. And uh, after uh, uh, being fortunate enough, really, to sell those clinics, I was thinking about what I wanted to do next. And I had testified as an expert witness really more times than I want to remember on behalf of my patients who were either being cut off of their medical care or offered some pittance of a settlement. And so after I saw the clinics, I thought, well, maybe what I could do is just consult to attorneys on any kind of medical question that they have in a case. And not only did that uh, turn out to be a, a good thing, it was an unfilled niche. And uh, now over the years, it, it's turned into this new subspecialty of pre-trial, pre-litigation, medical legal consulting uh, to uh, attorneys, primarily attorneys uh, who do personal injury work and workers' compensation work. Although I'll tell you, Andrew, a physician in any specialty can learn how to do this kind of consulting. And in fact, there are physicians now all over the country uh, that I've uh, had the privilege of training working. Most of them are working part-time as part of an existing practice. Uh, others uh, do it full-time and some do it instead of actually retiring. So just by way of background, uh, this program, The Art of Medicine, uh, kind of originated out of locum tenens and some of the work-life balance issues. And so we explore a lot of non-clinical approaches to uh, achieving work-life balance, uh, making a living, <laughs> being right. happy. So this is uh, this forensic medicine is something that could be done uh, part-time or full-time. Uh, is that correct? That's correct. Yeah, although the, the vast majority of physicians that do this do it as part of an existing practice. What I tell physicians is you really need a, a minimum of about eight hours a week in order to do this justice and make it fly. Uh, and then uh, determine how much time you want to put into it once you're starting to do that eight hours. And um, it's not an exact science, but uh, depending on how many uh, attorneys you actually have in your referral base will determine how many hours uh, a week you'll devote to this. So I, I have a few questions. One, does it require you to physically see the patient? Right. So uh, the answer, this, the short answer is no. So uh, here's how it works. Uh, the attorney will typically uh, give me a call. They'll discuss the case. 
Uh, they will then send me all of the medical records associated with the case. I'll read the medical records. And then the next thing I do in um, every case is I'll interview the client of the attorney. Now, 95% of the time, I'll do that interview by phone. Um, if I uh, feel I absolutely need to eyeball the client, before the pandemic, I would do that in the conference room at the attorney's office. Now we're doing uh, it by Zoom meeting. After doing that, then I'll do whatever research uh, I need to do in the medical literature. And then I'm pre prepared Probably 80% um, of the services require that I write some kind of report for the attorney. So then I'll write my report um, and uh, send it off. Now, uh, obviously, you said, you know, I'm a psychiatrist, trained as a psychiatrist. So let's say the case um, involves a, a rotator cuff issue. Um, let me just say one thing, um, slight digression. One of the real pleasures of doing this kind of work is that you get to learn a tremendous amount of medicine, uh, which has been just an absolute pleasure for me and others doing this work. Now, you know, I'm not prepared to do any uh, orthopedic or neurosurgery, but I'd certainly put my knowledge base of uh, spine injuries, rotator cuff injuries, you name it, up against anyone. And so if you have, if you enjoy lifelong learning, if you love medicine, if you have some intellectual curiosity, then uh, this is for you. So let's say I'm hired by the attorney uh, to uh, answer a question that's coming up in a negotiation for a settlement. So here's the key thing. I always work pre-trial, pre-litigation. I'm involved in those nine out of 10 cases that are negotiated and settled and, and never go to trial. Now, now, obviously, on that one out of 10 case that the attorney can't negotiate and settle and is going to take to trial, well, then they're going to need medical experts in every area of injury. But for the purpose of negotiating and settling the case, uh, in other words, helping the attorney to uh, have a, a more favorable settlement, save time, uh, help the attorney get the appropriate medical care for the clients, help them negotiate the medical issues in the case. What the attorney needs are well-reasoned uh, medical opinions backed up by evidence from the medical literature. So let's say it's a rotator cuff case. I write my report. They're trying to negotiate something out in the settlement. So what's the, the attorney is going to send my report to opposing counsel. Well, what's the first thing opposing counsel is going to do? Well, they're gonna look me up, right? So uh, now, of course, this never happens to me anymore. I've been doing this 13 years. Everybody knows who I am. But when I started, the, the, the opposing counsel, they would call my attorney that hired me and say, hey, well, why should I pay any attention to Dr. Feldman? Um, he's not an expert in rotator cuffs. And what the attorney is going to say is, well, Dr. Feldman acts as a medical consultant for me in all my cases. And I can tell you, if we can't settle this issue based on Dr. Feldman's opinions in his report, you force me to take this case to trial. When I hire my retained orthopedic uh, uh, expert, 
that expert at trial is going to say exactly what Dr. Feldman said in his report. In fact, Dr. Feldman is relying on the same literature that my retained expert is going to rely on at trial. So let's see if we can't just get this settled. And that's kind of how it works in practical, practical matters. So it gives the attorney some uh, leverage. Well, it really gives the attorney the ability to better negotiate and settle the case. Uh, without having to uh, rely and pay uh, an expert to do that. And I can tell you uh, now, based on not only my experience over the past 13 years, but the experience of the approximately 1,600 physicians I've trained over the past uh, 11 years, uh, using a medical legal consultant on a case before the necessity to hire an expert for trial has proved extremely valuable and, in fact, does help attorneys to settle cases for better value with less attorney time and helps them through the medical issues in the case. So do, do attorneys know about this? I mean, I'm contacted from time to time as a neurologist. Dr. Wilner, we'd right. like to weigh in on this. And I usually say, well, you know, I could review it and tell you what I think, but I'm not really interested in, you know, testifying. And right. uh, then I never hear from them again. So, right, right. I mean, are they kind of on board with this idea? Yes, they are. Now, the answer to your question about do they know about it, uh, the answer is actually no. I mean, for, year, for years, maybe for centuries, you know, there have been physicians acting as medical experts in legal cases. But until I started doing this about 13 years ago, there were not physicians acting as medical legal consultants pre-trial, pre-litigation. So one of, uh, so the things that I teach really are twofold. First of all, of course, I teach the medicine that you need to know, but I also teach physicians the business side. Uh, and that includes how do you market this? So the marketing uh, for this it's really twofold. First, how do you get your attorney clients? And then second, how do you keep them long term? So as I'm sure you understand, you can be the best plumber on the planet, the best medical legal consulting on the planet. But if you don't maintain what marketers call top of my consciousness, even your best customers are going to forget about you, right? So, but for the first part, the how do you get your attorney clients? What I can tell you about that is, first of all, the marketing plan really doesn't have anything to do with advertising. And in fact, it doesn't have to have anything to do with spending money. What it really has to do with is old fashioned elbow grease. There's no getting around the fact that you have to meet with attorneys face to face, educate them and make these uh, medical legal services part of what they do routinely in their offices. So, uh, by the way, of course, during the pandemic, uh, what we're doing is we're doing that initial meeting, what I call the 10 minute meeting, but what we're doing for that initial meeting, we're doing it by Zoom, just like we're doing now. Uh, and uh, fortunately, that's proved to be maybe a little to my chagrin. <laughs> it's proved to be just as effective as meeting face-to-face, -face, although I think there are all kinds of reasons once we can to go back to meeting face-to-face -to, -face to do those meetings. So um, how to do those meetings, help to do those meetings, scripts to do those meetings, that, that's all part of the training that, that I do. Uh, 
and any physician. Do you have any uh, training courses uh, coming up? Yeah, in fact, uh, I do have my annual, this will be my eighth annual medical legal consulting conference coming up um, April uh, 24th and 25th. It's by live stream only. Uh, and uh, physicians that are interested, this is a two-day crash course in how to do this. And in fact, one of the very first things that I say, maybe the first thing that I say at the conference is, when you leave the conference, you will have all of the tools and education that you need to go home and successfully do this. Um, if you'd like to register, the, you can go to medlegal2021.com medlegal2021.com. I'll put that in the uh, show notes as well. Thank you. Uh, yeah, so, uh, well, it sounds pretty interesting. I think the first, maybe not the first question, but I have two questions. So sure. w one easy question, I think, is do I need malpractice insurance or right. some kind? I'm not really practicing, but I'm doing something different that sounds like right. it could... It could it could uh, backfire on me in some way. Right. Do I need some kind of coverage for that? Yeah, that's a really good question. Here's the answer. There are actually two answers to the question. Here's the first answer. Here's the bottom line answer. Um, if you are concerned about that, what you should do is hire an attorney in your state to give you a written opinion uh, with regard to whether you need medical malpractice insurance or not. So that's the bottom line answer. Here's the second answer. First of all, I'll preface it by saying I'm not an attorney, but I don't think that you need medical malpractice for this purpose. I don't carry it actually for, for this purpose. Now, um, first of all, uh, by the way, I, I have done a little over 3000 cases and uh, I, all of my uh, clients are attorneys. They certainly know how to sue people. And I have never, never say never, right? But knock on wood, but I have never even come close, to, not a sniff of anyone threatening to sue me. Um, I, I, I think I do a good job, but I suppose you could get sued anyway, right? But I think the main reason is what, on the bottom line, what I am hired to do is to render medical opinions in their cases. So if you do a good faith effort at that, you actually talk to the attorney, read the medical records, interview their client, do the appropriate medical research, uh, do whatever else that you feel that you need to do to prepare a, a good report and you prepare for that report in good faith, it's very hard to sue someone if you've hired them to give you an opinion, they do it in good faith. I suppose even if you didn't like the opinion, which I don't think has ever happened. I'll talk about that in a second. But um, it's, even if they didn't like the opinion, it's hard to sue the, sue the person if they render that opinion in good faith, which, which reminds me of something else, Andrew, which is occasionally the physicians ask me about being, quote, hired gun, right? So um, one of the great things about working on this side of the fence, that is, working with plaintiff and claimant attorneys is that as opposed to physicians that work on the insurance side, uh, but, uh, and I'll say something about that in a moment, but um, these attorneys want and value our straight up medical opinions. Uh, these attorneys, they don't want to be carrying loser cases, right, with their time and with their money. So, um, if it's my opinion, um, hey, you don't have a case here. 
for whatever the reason, the, the, there's a pre-existing condition. The person is malingering. The, the person is primarily driven by, uh, uh, the person is mainly driven by a secondary gain, whatever it is. The attorneys are just as interested as getting that opinion as something that will help them in the negotiation. So, um, you know, they're very good doctors that work on the insurance side, but we also know that in every community across the country, there are, uh, the insurance companies hire doctors that will give them the opinions that they want, and if they don't, they'll hire other doctors who do. So we, on this side, we never face those kinds of dilemmas. So you can just be completely honest. It's like, hey, this person's got a really good case. They messed up or, gee, they did everything right. It didn't turn out well, but nothing nothing that the doctor did wrong. So you can just. Yeah, that's right. Back. That's right. Although, you know, I'll, I'll tell you something else about what you said. Um, there are a little over um, 16 different services that I offer and the other doctors offer. Um, I'm not asked very often about whether this is a case or not. The attorneys that do uh, PI work, uh, workers' comp work, disability work, they are very, very good at knowing whether or not they have a case. So that constitutes maybe five, seven percent of what I do. The other thing is I don't work in medical malpractice cases and I never act as a medical expert. Um, so what kind of cases are they if they're not medical malpractice? Yeah, so um, here's a typical bread and butter case. Um, 22-year-old woman is uh, at a stoplight. She is rear-ended at high speed. Uh, six hours after the accident, she develops uh, acute appendicitis and has an appendectomy. The attorney says, hey, I want to know, uh, is that uh, appendicitis accident related? This is an actual case. When I was talking to the attorney on the phone, I was saying, hey, there's no way that that's, that's related. Then I went to the medical literature and uh, I found out that um, blunt force trauma to the abdomen, particularly in teens and young adults, uh, can precipitate acute appendicitis. Well, when I interviewed the client, even though she was properly restrained, she was thrown forward with enough force that her abdomen hit the steering wheel. And so based on her history, what happened, uh, and the medical literature, I was able to render a medical opinion to a reasonable degree of medical probability that yes, in fact, the rear end accident was the cause of this woman's uh, appendicitis and subsequent appendectomy, and that became then a damage in the case. Well, that's pre that's pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't want to run out of time before okay. I ask uh, the most important question. Sure. And uh, because whenever I think, you know, physicians are busy. And even right. if they're not completely happy, they're completely busy and taking, yes. on, a, taking on a new you know, a new task, a new expertise, going to a conference, figuring all this out, and then doing it is a big investment that is going to take the place of some other, uh, right. some other activity. So, how much do I get paid if I do this? Right. Well, first of all, I should tell you that I can't talk specifics, of course, about fee per hour. It's a, it's actually, I don't. It's a violation of fair trade practices in the United States. Uh, and it's actually against the law to talk specifics about fees. But here's what I can say. 
Um, do an informal survey of your colleagues. Determine what you think is the average fee per hour for doing medical expert work in your community. Once you've got that number, figure your fees are going to be somewhere between half to two thirds of what the medical experts are charging. Um, if you take that number and multiply it times a minimum of eight hours a week, you are going to be excited and, and pleasantly surprised. Now, does that hourly rate say I get a case? I'm going to write a report. Mm -hmm. Can I charge right. an hourly fee for my research as well as my uh, typing? Or is it just the yes. report that counts? Yes, I charge by the hour for everything that I do. Uh, the average case takes somewhere between six and 12 hours. And I charge for everything. I charge uh, to do research. I charge for my uh, report writing. I charge for the time I spend talking to the client. Uh, I uh, charge for my research time. Uh, and the attorneys expect this. They, uh, yeah, well, that, that's they what they do, right? Attorney sneezes, yeah. that costs you money on the other end, you know. It's, yeah, uh, that's right. Uh, yeah. Well, that's a good point because there's a saying, uh, people like people that are like themselves. And uh, I charge exactly the way that attorneys charge. Most attorneys, by the way, charge by increments of one-sixth hour. I, I charge by quarter hours. Well, that that's very generous. I, I would expect you know, <laughs> physicians are always more generous with their time, happy to do things, you know, for free. So before we wrap up, is there anything you'd like to uh, add? Uh, no, I would say that um, if a physician is looking to do some, some yes, there is one thing I'd like to say. If a physician is looking to do some meaningful, non-clinical work that really helps people, I, I want to emphasize that I, um, this work helps people that desperately need this help, didn't have it before, and makes a difference in their lives. And um, I'm sure for you and certainly for me, uh, it's important to me that in my work, I'm helping people. And by doing this, you, you will definitely be helping people. Well, Dr. Feldman, it's inspirational to learn of a, a way to make extra money that, you know, satisfies kind of the doctor's urge uh, to do good and also right. is going to help uh, pay the bills and learn something at the same time. So right. uh, it sounds like uh, an investment of two days uh, at a conference might be uh, a, a reasonable thing for someone who's inclined to uh, to uh, test out this uh, new adventure. So I want to thank yeah. you very much for uh, sharing this information. Uh, I'm going to post this interview on YouTube, and it will also be available as a download as a podcast. Great. And, um, so uh, I've enjoyed it. I've learned something, and I think the viewers uh, will too. Great. Pleasure talking with you. Thank you.